Art of the Cut is brought to you by FilmTools.com, your one-stop shop for production and post-production gear. Be sure to listen for an exclusive site-wide offer later in the show. Hello, and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of film editing with my colleagues in film and TV. In this episode, I'm talking with Morden Hoshbjerg about Hannah. This is one of a continuing series of binge-worthy shows that my readers wanted to know about. Morden's filmography includes numerous feature films like Arn, The Knight Templar, and episodes of The Crown, Trigonometry, Top Boy, and Trust. Let's talk a little bit about Hannah. How does some guy from Denmark work in London, or where's the show edited? It's edited in London. A few years ago, I kind of looked around and I thought, okay, time for some new challenges. I'm going to move to London and see what's going to happen for me there. I stumbled upon this project and a guy called uh, Tom Cohen, who is an excellent executive producer of this show. And we kind of got along really well. And I got on the first series as well. So I've done some episodes on the first series and also on the second series. A chance meeting or was it through an agent? Yeah, these things are always through agents. You don't really just drag up people in the pub, you know, I guess. So <laughs> I don't know. Of, it could of, happen. No, no, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you could. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. But in my limited experience of London so far, you got to have an agent and the agent kind of hooks you up with meetings and stuff like that. You know, as you say, there's lots and lots of independent post-production houses in London. We were editing at a place called Hireworks. And where is it shot? Where are you getting rushes from? It's a very kind of international show, I guess. There's so many locations and so many places. So a lot of it is, is shot in kind of in Eastern Europe. And then we have London and the Mediterranean. Last year we had Morocco as well. And, you know, I mean, this Hannah girl is just constantly on the move. So, I mean, we need a lot of locations, I guess. So it's it shot all over the place. A lot of it is, is shot on location as well. We had on one of the episodes that I cut for this second series now is shot in the actual underground system of, in London, which was a huge challenge, I guess, because... I mean, there's only a certain amount of time that they can shut down the train line for us to shoot. The whole sequence in the in the London Underground, it's a really big sequence, very dramatic sequence, and it's taking place on like multiple platforms in the underground, in multiple trains, and on the like on the stairs and all over the place. That put up against that they have like really limited time in the underground, and we really wanted to make it in the actual underground and not on a, in a studio. So it was just about shoot, 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 shoot. And then there was a lot of editing work to be done afterwards to make the whole puzzle work. I like that because it gives it a feeling of being real, obviously, because it is kind of real. That really brings something, I think, to the show. Uh, with stuff shot all over, the, all over Europe, are there any challenges about getting dailies or, or rushes? How is that stuff getting delivered to you? Or, or are they shooting in blocks? Especially if they're in, in Eastern Europe or something, or, or even like Morocco, obviously there's, there's always going to be a delay for me to get the rushes. It's often like a couple of days before I actually get it. In America, the director's kind of a hired gun that comes in, they do their thing, they've got a couple of days to do their cut, and then it moves on to the showrunner. How does it work on Hannah? It's an Amazon production, so it is sort of an American production, just 
taking place in, in Europe, I guess. It's probably the best of both worlds, I would say. I mean, we have on Hannah the brilliant creator, David Farr. It's, of course, different, I guess, from making a feature film or something, because it's his vision that is the show. And then there's multiple directors doing episodes. I mean, it's a whole big collaboration. All of us, we need to kind of try to get into David's mind space and his vision and pull in the same direction to make a coherent show. I haven't worked on a full-blown American production. My feeling is that here in Europe, there's still lots of space for the director to make their mark and to have their opinion and to do what they think is best for their episodes. You know, I think there's a lot of respect, actually. The character of Hannah is a fairly young girl, central to the story. Talk to me a little bit about editing her and how you try to either shape her performances or how you're trying to let her performance kind of shine through your editing. Yeah, she is really young and I think it's just incredible because pretty much she's in every frame. She's on all the time and she has to do so many different things. It's a show that is basically a show about identity, but it's wrapped in suspense and thriller and drama and spy movie and high octane action there's so many elements in it and she has to do all these things i mean she has to do stunts and she has to do drama scenes and her spectrum needs to be incredible and she needs to be on all the time so of course it's like a huge task i can't even imagine you know i think in this case it's just about building on top of what she gives because she gives so many like brilliant performances so it's not really about like altering or trying to do something else. To me, it's, it's almost like touching the trust that you have to give as an actor. She don't know me and she has to stand there and it's live and she has to stand there every day and she gives all these, you know, different performances and different things in the, is able to trust that all that she brings to it will be handled with intelligence. So that we are able to bring out the best. That's what it's about, to bring out the best. I, I just always find that so kind of touching, the amount of trust between the different collaborators. In her performances or the way the director directs her, do you get a lot of different temperatures or colors of performance? And then you have to decide between take one and take two, oh, I like the more frightened one or I like the more, uh, the stronger one. Yeah, it's often like that, I guess. And I guess it's also the more the actor is able to kind of trust the process, the more variation they give you. Because if they trust that no matter what they kind of offer or put on the table, it's an offer. It's something that we can choose or not choose. It's like, it's like little gifts of variety that we can kind of see what would fit best because it's almost impossible to know from beforehand what will work perfectly. Lots of times, or most times, they're shooting in complete random order, it seems, because they're just shooting reg regarding what location they're on, which makes sense. But it also makes it so that, I mean, they can shoot the end scene Monday morning at eight o'clock, and then right after that, they have to shoot something completely different, but in the same location that is fitting somewhere completely else. 
in the story. It might even be a completely different episode. In those situations, I guess, of course, it's about knowing what you want and what tone you want it to have when you do it. But it's also about giving different colors and different varieties and different options. It's all about having as much option as possible for the editing. She was, I think, brilliant at that, trusting the team behind the camera and kind of giving lots of different tones of things afterwards. Can you give an example of how she might play something? Like, she's got a very interesting character where she's at once innocent and kind of naive, but then also incredibly knowledgeable and experienced at, at things that she probably shouldn't be at, at, at her young age. Can you give an example of how she might give two different performances and you chose one over the other because of story? Like, oh, she was more frightened in this one and I felt that played into the story or she was stronger in this and frightened and so I chose the stronger one because of the story. There is examples of that throughout and sometimes it's subtle differences. I mean, what the show is also about is this, it's about identity and it's about also, it's about being different and being not like everybody else. And so her character is kind of, it's not based on anything. It's like an invention completely. I guess that gives it some sort of freedom as well. We had some scenes, for example, where she knows something and she's trying to push somebody else or to kind of manipulate somebody else into doing certain things. The challenge was how scary do we make her? And she made different versions where somewhere she seems innocent, somewhere she seems a bit more threatening or a little bit more scary, like she knows. And all these things are kind of subtle differences. But you really feel it when you watch the rushes. It's also something about how much do you kind of need to have on the outside for the audience to realize at certain points and how much do you just want her to keep for herself and be a surprise later for the audience. So uh, do we want to play it like she knows this and this and this and therefore she looks a little bit like strong and scary or do we want to play it like maybe she doesn't, maybe... Oh, doesn't she know that? You know, it's like a cat and mouse game. And especially in, in something as kind of plot heavy and suspense heavy as this is, you need to have those options to keep it alive, I guess, to always decide if you are keeping the audience guessing or if you are giving them a piece of information and when you are giving it. That's kind of the whole trying to make it interesting. And her performance plays a big part in that. I was thinking of a place that's probably written in the script to be kind of interesting to to figure out if it was the visuals were written into the script in this way. But I remember a scene in early in season one where a man is watching her. She's with the family, I guess in Morocco. They're at, at their, their van and she's being watched by somebody from above. You could have cut it where he sees her, but she doesn't see him back. You're only seeing him looking at her, but you showed her noticing him. Is that something in the script or something that you felt like you wanted to know that she was seeing it? Or was it something a showrunner said, oh, we really want her to notice this guy at this point? Or you just saw it in the rushes and you're like, oh, it's, it's interesting that she looks up and sees him. I think I'll cut that in. It's something about having the option 
them shooting it gives us the option to use it uh, or not use it. And then it's all about how it kind of functions in the moment, how much we want her to know and how kind of on top of the situation we want her to be at that exact point in time. Normally in the assembly process, also because in in TV, I guess it's, it's a bit faster paced than normally it would be probably in a, in a feature film where you would have time for that phase with the director but in tv it's very often that i just get the rushes while the director is still out shooting pretty much when the director is done shooting i have a sort of a full assembly of of the whole episode to watch in most cases i would bring as many options into that cut as possible for example like the one that you just mentioned there if we have that as an option i would probably bring it in in the assembly process to just make sure that it isn't forgotten later, you know, so that we know we, we have it and then we can always choose not to use it. Let's talk about sound a little bit. How much does sound play a part and how much are you doing in the offline or in the picture cut with sound? I'm doing as much as possible. Obviously, it, it, it's such a big part of the process, the sound and the music. I like to spend a lot of time trying to put different sound and effects and music on and, and kind of spend quite a lot of, of time playing around with that to kind of see, because it has a, it, it has a huge effect on the rhythm and the pacing of the editing as well and of the storytelling. You can change so much with the right sound design. So it's, I think it's really important to integrate it as much as possible, actually. For example, on the first episode of the new series, we have this drone sequence where the drones are CGI. So we didn't have them in the editing. And so I spent a lot of time with sound to also to kind of just try to invent the drones in my own head because we have this whole action sequence of drones arriving and Hannah running and and we didn't have any drones. We just had like empty plates where the drones were supposed to be. We hadn't even kind of completely settled on how are the drones going to like exactly be, <laughs> you know, because it was so early. So I, I spend a lot of time both with my own just voice being the sound of the drone. <laughs> but <really>? also like, <laughs> yeah, I did because, you know, you have, you have Hannah running and then you have uh, maybe an empty plate. And it's like, how long is this empty plate? And then I have to kind of think, okay, so maybe the drone could come from kind of this treetop or something, and then it could go over here in pretty much maybe this pace. And okay, so it's coming here, so and then come and then maybe hovering a little bit, and then and then you know. So I I did all that. It must have looked crazy if somebody <laughs> walked in, me sitting there like being a drone in my room. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and did you record any of that or was that just something that you did every time you watch the scene, you have to go, you know, like make the sounds. Yeah, yeah, I did. Because then I was changing it all the time, you know, according to kind of what I felt like the pace that it would move and where it kind of would be in that shot. And, you know, that would definitely change the visual pace of the scene, the sound of some menacing drone that changes how long you're going to sit on a plate for sure. It totally does. The same with music. It's both a blessing, but it, it can also be a very dangerous thing, actually, sometimes. If you just put some great music on, then you tend to kind of stick around longer. So it's, it's always a question, but I, I must say I love 
working with music as well. I always do work with a lot of music. And then I take it off, completely off, and just watch it through and kind of see, okay, so what's actually left when this beautiful track is not there anymore? You know? A lot of editors have their assistant editors cut all that sound effects stuff in, but that obviously, as we were talking about, changes the pace a lot. Do you then, do you do that as well? And then you have to change your picture cut because the audio has changed the pace of your edits or are you much more hands-on with your audio? I'm very hands-on. You know, although on, on Hannah, I had some fantastic assistants that I'm obviously completely using for that stuff with sound as well where it's more about gathering different sounds, layering them on. And then I like to sit with all these elements and then do kind of the, the simple mixing in the Avid and maybe take some stuff away again and, you know, something you know, and try to find the new bits and pieces of things. It's totally a collaboration with the assistant as well, but I like to sit with it as well because it's such an important thing. Did you ever get to the point where you just put in a little graphic of a... Have a drone, like you could have made something in title tool, an axe or something that moved around the yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah. Did you do that at some we point? We did or? that too. We, we did that too, put little like things into it to kind of get an idea about stuff. Yeah, we did that as well. I am pretty shocked that that was not a real drone. I thought that was a real drone. You cut that first episode, the premiere, right? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah that's kind of a big responsibility. You're basically shaping what the kind of style for the rest of the the season and for the rest of the series. Talk to me a little bit about those decisions and having that kind of weight on your shoulders. I don't mind the weight, actually. I, uh, but you're right. It's always, I guess, I cut the first episode of the first series as well. And I guess it's always the episode that is most scrutinized by everybody, I guess, because finally we see what it actually is that we're doing. And in setting the tone from that episode, was it more like a new feature film where there is no anything before it um, that you're just following the footage? You're letting the footage speak to you, and that's what's determining a lot of those choices. Yeah, and, and of course I've had uh, like lots of conversations beforehand with with David or with the director or, you know, with, with, the, with the crew and, you know, reading the script and, and all these things that comes before. So you don't just start with a blank piece of paper. But yeah, it's always a very interesting moment. Uh, also because the director is, is most of the time not there in the assembly process because they're still out shooting. So that moment when the director comes into the room and okay, let's sit down and watch the, watch the first episode. It's always very nerve-wracking. We'll be back in a moment with more of my interview with Morden Hojbjerg. Today's episode of the Art of the Cut podcast is brought to you by FilmTools.com. Since 1996, FilmTools has been Hollywood's one-stop shop for all things production and post. No matter your filmmaking needs, FilmTools has you covered when you need gear for your next shoot or edit. This week, Film Tools is offering Art of the Cut listeners 10% off thousands of products when shopping on filmtools.com. All you have to do is enter code AOTC10 at checkout. That's AOTC10 at checkout to get 10% off your purchase on filmtools.com. So whether you need a GTEC hard drive or an Airy Sky panel, make sure to head over to filmtools.com and check out with discount code AOTC10. 
to get 10% off your next equipment purchase. And now back to my interview with Morden Hoshberg. Some people don't get that discussion. You mentioned, you know, hey, you got to talk to people on the crew or the director or the showrunner. What were some of those discussions before you started cutting that first episode of the first season? I would always have questions about what's the style, what's the tone of this, what's our common language here. It's because film is such a difficult thing to talk about, actually, because it's all so subjective. What does somebody mean when they say, ah, it needs to be a bit darker? We're going to make something really dark. Maybe that doesn't mean the same thing for that person as it does for you. So you have to have quite a lot of conversations back and forth to kind of get on the same wave of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And of course, it's a lot in this particular case, it's a lot to do with David's vision, but also the director that I have for my episode. It's like really important that we have some sort of common language and what collaboration is is about, I guess. It's about building that trust between all the collaborators. It's such a big thing. It's like hundreds of people, basically, that need to come together to make one thing and pull in the same direction. And it's remarkable that it works. I think my question on all the conversations we have in the beginning, of course, if there is any, any, any like plot things or something that I don't understand, or that maybe why couldn't it be this way instead? Wouldn't that be kind of more effective, or wouldn't that work better for understanding this particular sequence or something like these a little bit more technical things maybe? But I think in most cases it's actually mostly about kind of getting to know each other and getting to know each other's like temperament and language about the thing, because it's really important that we are speaking the same language. Did you have discussions about other movies or other TV shows or other references? Is that a way to to get on the same stylistic wavelength as to talk about other movie references? It's always a really good tool and not necessarily just talking about direct references useful to, to specifically Hannah or something, but also more like, I, what's your like inspiration in general? What's your favorite film? What's kind of really doing it for you in terms of what's the last film you saw that was amazing to you and why? And then hopefully you are sharing some of those because that's a brilliant tool to kind of understand what the other person that you are going into this collaboration with, how they see film and how, how things work for them, you know, what they find Amazing, because ultimately, I think the editing room needs to be a safe space. It needs to be a place where you can voice your opinion and where you can have discussions and even sometimes arguments. It's a place where you spend a lot of time with another person that you maybe even didn't really know before. And so you need to develop this relationship where you feel free to say whatever you think. In in my kind of view or my kind of method, if I have one, that's what it's about. It's about creating this kind of safe space for me and for the director and for whoever else comes into that room to have an opinion. And we can have discussions about what we're doing because if if people don't feel safe, it, it's not useful because then we don't get the honest opinions and we, you know, we don't get the honest discussion. The work doesn't become as good as it can be. So, so to me, all these talks and meetings and 
whatever you have before shooting starts is all about trying to build this relationship because ultimately it is one big collaboration, you know. And I was thinking about what you said about the things that really did it for your director, what movies really do it for you, even if it doesn't have a direct application to this TV show, Hannah, even if it's a, a romantic comedy or a science fiction film or something, you're still getting a sense of their taste. You totally are, yeah. And in a lot of cases, I think that's actually even more useful than just talking direct references to Hannah, because that doesn't necessarily tell me anything about that person's preferences personally. In a way, I also think, even though, it, it, of course, it's really useful to have references that are directly applicable to what you're doing, but it's also, in some ways, and maybe mostly philosophical, it's also kind of limiting, because you also want to feel like, at least, that you're trying to do something new. So the moment you're sitting and saying, okay, we have this great TV show that is just pretty much what we want to do again. That's not very inspirational to, for anybody, I guess, even though it's probably not really possible. You kind of want to feel like you are inventing new things every time. When you're dealing with the pilot or the premiere episode of the first season, you mentioned music and how much music means to you. What kind of discussions did you have about music? Did you know who the composer was going to be? And then did you try to choose temp music that would fit that composer's style? We were really lucky that we had a composer already from the beginning on, and they were kind of able to send off sketches and things uh, already from the beginning on. That was actually one of the really good collaborations that I've had ever because it just really, it was just great to have these guys already from the beginning on and they had already been thinking about kind of themes and sounds and stuff and the like brilliant guys. But you've got performance, you've got all the action, you've got plot things that you have to deal with. But then you also mentioned something like that identity is important and an important theme in this show. How can you work in that theme in your editing? How, like, if you know identity is important to this show, when you're editing, how do you think about that? How does that affect you? My tool is intuition and my gut feeling. And I'm kind of the first line of defense as the first audience. And I very much use my intuition when I'm editing. This show, it has so many elements, but at its core, it has this, identity and of course that's what comes out in in some of the more kind of quiet scenes of course it's great to cut like action where you have like all these different uh, shots and all these different things and you can really play with the pacing and the suspense and the music and it all comes together and this huge thing that just kind of drags you on right it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun to do that. But what is equally fantastic and really, to me, like really, really rewarding is a dialogue scene between two people. It can be amazing. I see it a little bit like it's a tennis match. Like you have two opponents and you're just watching the ball go back and forth. And you have to decide and you have to pace and you have to, oh, is it more exciting now to watch the person who is speaking or maybe it's actually more exciting right now to watch the person who is listening and you have this whole dynamic in a in a dialogue scene which is 
yeah, like a tennis game or game of chess or something. And I guess it's in those scenes in, the, in this show where I'm kind of really thinking about identity because, it's, of course, it's not something that we are kind of saying out loud in that, in that way, but it's something that I'm thinking about and I, I have it with me in my physical system. When I'm cutting the scenes, I, I feel it and it kind of rubs off on the scenes that I'm cutting that, that I feel like that this is, that's what it's about. So I'm kind of searching for these little tones and, and things and it's all really subtle things, but I think that's how it comes across. Do you have a different approach in cutting a scene that is action-based to a, cutting a scene that's dialogue-based? When you get the rushes, do you actually do different things for those scenes? Like, I'll do a selects reel for a, an action scene, but I won't do a selects reel for a dialogue scene, something like that? I always try to be completely open. I try to not have too much routine, and I try to not do the same thing every time in the same way, because I feel like it kind of keeps me open to pretend that I don't have any routine, even though I obviously do have a lot of routine. I mean, I've cut more than 20 feature films and a bunch of TV for many, many years, I guess. So I do have routine, but I try to pretend that I don't to kind of keep it fresh every time because there's always new challenges and new things, which is kind of magical. That said, I think in a big action scene, I, I try to, I do try to be a bit more methodical, just simply to have an overview. Oftentimes you have hours and hours of, of different shots and you need to make sure that you obviously select all the best bits and have all the different uh, points. It's difficult to have an overview if you don't try to sort it out a little bit first. Where on dialogue scenes, what I most of the time do is while watching through the rushes, I select things and I try to not think about what I'm precisely do with the things that I select, but I just kind of select, oh, I really like that little look. Oh, I like, like that pause. I like how she says this line, just based on stuff that I really like. I select all these things into another sequence. And I'm trying to not really think about where it fits and if it fits or if I have now three times the same line, but just gut feeling, just intuition. I love this. I love this. This is great. What a nice shot. What a nice performance right there. And just put it in a big random sequence. And then watching that, that kind of teaches me a lot about, okay, so I like this. Why did I like this? How does that fit with something else? And then the process starts kind of shaping the scene and actually finding out what's the beginning, what's the middle, what's the end. Using that as a source... Once you build, grab all those little pieces, then you're not trying to turn that into a scene. You're using, putting that in your source monitor and editing from that. Yeah, sometimes I do. Sometimes if there's a lot of rushes, it can be a complete mess and really difficult to then afterwards find the things again. So sometimes it's easier to just use it as a reference and then, you know, go through it and you can match frame back and see, okay, so here's the full take. How does that actually work now in the sequence? Right, because you might need something leading in or coming out of a great moment. Exactly. And I didn't think about that when I made the select. Sometimes I'm just cutting halfway through a line, or, you know, it could be anywhere, basically, to kind of inspire myself and to kind of keep it, okay, so what took for me, what's really doing it in this scene, what's really the, the little bits and pieces where I really think it's standing out. 
that's really helpful to me because it kind of keeps it fresh and it keeps me fresh as well. And I can always go back then when I've then cut the scene, then oftentimes I just go back and watch that uh, sequence as well up against the actual cut that I made and see, okay, is there stuff that I missed? Is there stuff that I'm feeling now that I'm missing from my select? And, you know. Uh, so you mentioned staying fresh and doing things differently. What would be another approach that you would try? You know, sometimes I feel like, okay, now I need to try a different way. And then sometimes I'm, you know, inspired by the, by the old days where it was not digital, where it was just physical. You find the best first shot and then where do I go from there? Yeah. And then it's about watching the rushes a few times and kind of making, maybe making notes, but not making any cuts in anything. Just kind of making notes, thinking, and kind of trying to make a plan in my head and then just do it. You know, that, that's another really great challenge, I think, and another really fun way of doing it, where you just kind of pretend that it's a Steinbeck or like a Mobiola or something, and you just, okay, I got to figure this out, and then, okay, I'll start with this, and then I'll have that. That's a really fun way of doing it, too. But just basically anything that I can kind of invent that gives this kind of feeling of, kind of happens my senses, I guess. I try to do lots of little tricks on myself just to kind of sharpen my senses. I don't feel like I want to have this kind of feeling of routine. I love the discussion of the different ways to approach a scene and uh, how important audio is, all that, the, you know, making drone sounds with your mouth. <laughs> that happens with a lot of editors. Film is just so incredible in that way that it, I usually call it like, it's the art of the possible. The art of the possible. The art of the possible, because it's such an expensive thing to do. And it's logistically, it's, crazy to even have the idea to do it right with hundreds of people and locations and stuff and it's just it's just an incredible machine right to kind of get going and obviously in the perfect world you know if you have unlimited amounts of money and unlimited amounts of time and unlimited everything then great but you never do, right? It, there's always a reality. And, and I think compared to, I guess, a lot of other art forms, if you're a painter, it's you. And then you have a canvas and you have paint. Or even, I guess, if you make music and you're in your studio. and it, You have complete control of. You have complete control, both in time and space and everything, right? But film, you really don't because everything can happen and, and you know and as we know everything that can happen will happen <laughs> and then editing is where all these things that happened or didn't happen or it's kind of the moment of truth where you see finally what it is actually we have been doing for the last few months and how do we kind of bring out the best of it and i think that's why editing is such a fantastic place in the process because in my mind that's kind of where it happens is that's where all the elements are being brought together and, and we figure out how to bring it to the next level, right? It, it's an amazing, it's an amazing place to be in the process, I think. I think so too. Thank you so much for being with me. It was wonderful to talk to you today. Yeah, very nice to talk to you too. 
That's it for Art of the Cut this week. Thanks for listening. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for nearly 250 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven, curated experience. Thanks again to my guest, Morden Hoshbjerg. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hullfish. I hope you subscribe to this podcast and give it a review, please. And finally, be sure to share them with a 